0: Welcome back to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about geomythology, which is a relatively new field of uh, study. And by relatively new, I mean 1967 was when the term was coined. I know because <laughs> I'm on the podcast... <laughs>
1: You're always in the past. You're always like, it was a really recent thing that happened in like the 1960s or 70s or 50s. I know, I'll be like,
0: oh, this story is old. And I'm like, and by that, I mean 7,000 years. And then I'm like, oh, this (laughs) just happened 200 years ago. (laughs) So I... (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's also really ironic that like geomythology is really new because when you're talking about like geology you're talking you know the time scale of geology gets even worse it's like a billion years is like recent history to you know geology and the earth. So it's just ironic that it's like brand new like field for such an old old Yeah.
0: So even to geologists, when I'm like, oh, this is fairly new, even though it's 50 years old now, to them, they'll say stuff where they're like, oh, yeah, this structure hasn't been here that long because this volcano erupted 50,000 years ago. So it's such a baby. And I'm like, what?
1: (laughs) (laughs) 50,000 year old baby.
0: So something that really interests me about... Uh, geomythology when I found out about it as like a, a field of study is that my father is a geophysicist. And so he's obsessed with rocks my whole life. He's been taking me to like rock vacations where he's like, let's yeah. He's like, <laughs> let's go to the petrified forest. Let's go to arches. Let's he just wants to see just every old rock. In the whole world. And so it was funny because when I told him that I was going to be doing a podcast on geomythology, I said, Oh, and right now I'm, I'm doing some studying on impact craters. And he was like, Did you know your great grandmother was born inside of an impact crater? It's <laughs> like, No, dad, I did not know that.
1: Fun fact.
0: I'm like, oh, okay. At least it all it all makes sense. It all comes back on each other. That's
1: hilarious. So when he
0: said she was born in an impact crater, he didn't mean that my my great great grandmother curled up in like a hole and like gave birth. (laughs) (laughs) The impact crater he's talking about it's millions of years old, like 150 plus something million years old, and it's 32 miles across in this huge huge chunk of Sweden. You know. Yes, yeah, so, so like everyone
1: that was born in this city in Sweden was technically born in an impact crater.
0: Exactly, and so, but of course,
1: it's like that's what he latches onto too, like because he is so interested in geology and stuff. It's like oh, the interesting thing about this region is that it's you know in the in an impact crater, a million yeah. years old impact yeah. crater.
0: Yeah, and he's like, isn't it cool that my to him, he's like my grandmother was born inside of an impact crater. And he's like proud yeah. <laughs> that she was in like a weird rock formation right w- right when she was born. So, uh I was like, wow, dad, that's that's some fascinating stuff. <laughs> geomythology is this really cool blend of our interests that that we both have of like me the the storytelling and yeah. the like the mythologies that people create around stuff and him the the rocks of it all. What's interesting is so the term geomythology was actually coined by a geologist named Dorothy Vitaliano in 1968. That's when she wrote a paper. She was working for the Indiana University at the time, and she wrote a paper for the geological magazine. A uh, geological magazine. There might be multiple ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was funny because as she was studying like different geology, she was also collecting stories like about the places because she just thought that was cool that these different rock formations had stories that the native people of wherever she was would talk about. Mm -hmm. But she didn't think that anybody would be interested in them. And it wasn't until she realized that some of these stories that people were telling were actually stories that could prove that people witnessed the stories happening or that they could point geologists to the right answer. For instance, if there's a story about like two volcanoes fighting each other Uh and then a volcano collapsing, then maybe what they're talking about is A a crater that was formed from a volcano collapsing.
1: Oh, gotcha. So it's like it can be kind of clues to geologists coming into an area. It's like, oh well, what stories do they say here? And they're like, well, we have this story about these things fighting and this happening, and they can kind of look for evidence of what that, you know, like on geological terms, what that might actually look like.
0: Yeah. And if it can point them to if these stories can point them to clues, then it can help them figure out because you know they'll Geologists will see a crater and there are several different things that can create a crater. Yeah. But if people nearby have stories about maybe how it was created, those might be extra clues as to what it is. Yeah. It's the same thing that like, uh, anthropologists try to find the city of Atlantis Mm -hmm. by listening to stories that sound like, they're describing a city getting sunken under the water. And so they'll right, yeah. they'll they'll look in those places. And so uh this woman, Dorothy Vitaliano, she started to take some of these stories a little more seriously, using them as clues to solve geological mysteries in areas. And and so suddenly what she had kind of as what sounds like a side hobby of just being interested in these stories actually turned into something that geologists could use. Yeah. And the paper that she wrote, how she described the connection between myths and geology. I'll read directly from her myths and geology are related in several ways. Some myths are the result of man's attempts to explain noteworthy features of his environment, such as striking landforms or unusual smaller features. Whereas others try to account for conspicuous natural processes, such as earthquakes, volcanic phenomena, and floods. Local myths have sometimes proved helpful in solving geological problems, and even the geological nomenclature is indebted to mythology. So that last part when she's talking about, like, even geological nomenclatures indebted to mythology, the most obvious one, I think, for, like, any Western listeners is the word volcano, because it's related to the Roman god Vulcan. Uh, He was the god of, like, fire and forging and steel and rock, and so there's kind of that obvious like correlation of like, he was kind of like a blacksmith for the gods working in this hot furnace, which was like the inside of a volcano or whatever. And so those words match, but there's other words related to, uh, mythology that are used inside of geology. And one of those is Pele's hair or Pele's tears. And that's, Mm From a Hawaiian goddess. So for me. I've never never heard the term Pele's hair. Pele's tears. But basically. What it is. Is. When there's a volcano. And there's molten rock. Sometimes there will be bubbles that will form. Or the volcano will be shooting off. This molten rock. Yeah. But the little pieces that get flung. Off of either when a bubble bursts and little pieces go flying or big pieces are flying through the air for a long way. Yeah. Any liquid will, as it's going through like air, thanks to gravity, Uh it'll form form like a tear shape or a raindrop shape.
1: Yeah. But
0: that the skinny tip will start to dry. It'll start to cool faster than the big drop. And so as it dries... It gets longer because it's it, it's harder for it to fly through the air. So it turns right. into this long strand of just like,
1: un, like spools through, like pulling off of the still molten part as it's like dry dragging behind because of the air resistance behind it.
0: Exactly. And it will turn into this long thread and it's bi- it's like the consistency. It's big. It's glass.
1: Yeah, it's like volcanic yeah. rock, like a long, a long thread of volcanic rock, which sounds so strange to be like, wait, how can rock? F-? I mean, it makes sense when you hear it explained, but you're like, rock can form into like super thin like strands. Yeah,
0: and the the wind will usually like collect all the pieces, so it'll be in like a pile of what looks like hair. Oh wow! Because it's these long thin pieces, it's kind of like the texture of even or it's like fiberglass, where it's. You don't want to yeah. inhale it, but you can because it's so thin right. and oh, like man. very fragile. And yeah, there'll be these big yeah. drips of it, and so that's Pele's hair. This they named it after this Hawaiian goddess. But the uh, the tears are the part at the end that is still tear. It's still like raindrop shaped, and yeah, and like yeah, tear and shape. it'll usually it'll snap off of the hair part, and then it'll just be this. Black rock in the shape of like a tear or a raindrop. And so yeah. that's,
1: wow, that's Pele's really cool. Tears. Yeah. And so named after, you know, Pele, the uh, Hawaiian goddess, which you tasked me of looking up briefly, <laughs> which I was happy to do because it was really interesting. Like I'd never heard about, I mean, I was like, when I saw the stuff about like Pele's tears and Pele's hair, I was like, what? That's crazy. But the folklore and like the mythology, I guess it's mythology because she's kind of a, you know, a goddess of the Hawaiian islands of which there are many gods and goddesses was like really interesting. It reminded me a lot of like Greek mythology in the sense that the whole kind of story starts. So the kind of like the pantheon of these Hawaiian gods were based, I guess, out of like Tahiti, Mm -hmm. supposedly. And uh, apparently Pele was pretty um, like dramatic and had like a temper. And so like her father like kicked her out and was like, you're causing too much trouble. You need to get out of here. (laughs)
0: Relatable. So, she's like,
1: <laughs> gets kicked out of the house. And so, she's like, fine, I'm going to go to Hawaii, which hasn't actually been made yet because, spoiler alert, I'm the one that's going to make it. So, like, apparently, you know, one of her, you know, brothers, is a god who is like the god of sharks or something like that. Something really cool, like, how would you like to be the god of sharks? Um, You know, he gives her a canoe, and so she, like, travels off, and she gets to where Hawaii is now, and she takes this big rod and, um, because she's, like, the goddess of, like, volcanoes and fire and stuff like that, but she, like, starts poking it into the ground and, like, you know, making the lava spurt up and and creating these islands, but then her sister's, like, we are not going to have any of that, because they were kind of, like, always feuding, so she had the waves, she was, like, the goddess of the water, so she had you know waves come over and like crash over the lava that she was making so it would create an island but then she would have to move on and do another one until eventually she was able to like permanently kind of settle on um like the big island that she had made and she yeah so apparently she still resides in kilauea which is you know an active volcano that's still producing lava yeah
0: and even
1: creating new recently, land yeah which is so crazy to me to think about the fact, you know, when you're in school and you're learning about like, oh, yeah, there are these places where volcanoes are like would spew out and create this land. And you think of that as being like this really old thing where it's like, no, there's like Hawaii is growing in size because it's like these volcanoes are still spewing out mass into the water that's then yeah. cooling. It's like,
0: that's so crazy. And there's another, there's another island that's forming that's still underwater and scientists are like, Oh yeah, it's going to be brand new and like, and above the water in a thousand years or something <laughs> like that.
1: Yeah. So it's
0: like, um, okay.
1: So don't start buying property on it or anything, yeah. but.
0: So one thing that geologists find interesting about this story is that it shows some knowledge and understanding from the Hawaiian people that those islands didn't all form at the same time. Yeah. It shows that they that they understand that each one of those islands is older than the the one next to it, that they all didn't just pop up at the same time, that there was one after the other that they were being built. And so, they don't know whether this means that the that there were people who witnessed new islands coming up. Right. Or if if the Hawaiians knew through observation, through some kind of scientific thinking, that their hypothesis was that these islands were formed one right after another and not all at the same time. Yeah. Which it's interesting. Because
1: that's not obvious.
0: I don't think it's obvious. I wouldn't have. Yeah. I don't think I would have figured that out by myself. <laughs> like, yeah,
1: like if you're like looking at like a, some mountains, you know, out west or something, we are like, oh, this mountain range was obviously formed between. It's like, no, it's not obvious that the one was formed after or before the other. To me.
0: Yeah, it's, yeah.
1: We don't know how they knew, but they did, so.
0: Yeah, and so, I mean, anthropologists find it interesting that, like, they find it interesting trying to figure out what ancient people knew and, like, what they thought about natural events, how it informed their way of life. They love all of that stuff, and so the geomythology for them, it's interesting to link the natural phenomena, the uh, natural disasters in some cases with these stories, yeah. because it shows how the ancient people were thinking through things, how they were mm-hmm. um, processing what they were seeing.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting in this case where it's like, they were right.
0: Yeah. You yeah. know,
1: like, cause there's so many cases where you're like, this is what people thought and why this story came to be. But we know now that actually it's, you know blank but it's like they were right about the fact that these islands were formed one after another and it's interesting too because that's a apparently a pretty rare thing like the situation that causes hawaii to be formed like because it's not actually on like you know a subduction or induction or whatever zone whereas most of those those types of things like volcanoes and stuff are supposed to happen it's like some random hole in like a tectonic plate that you know, that
0: keeps doing this magma. Yeah. Just,
1: yeah it's like shooting up. And because of the way that it's shifting and moving over whatever this is, that's why it's like forming like a trail of islands one after another. Cause it's actually whatever this is. Again, if there's any actual geologists listening, they're like, I'm so embarrassed for you. Cause you are so wrong, but you know, it's like, <laughs> it's usually cause it's such a rare thing what they were able to pick up on it without, you know, other knowledge to draw on, yeah. You know what I mean? Like that other, without- uh, about how, Volcanoes were formed other places. Yeah,
0: without other examples from their life. Because it is like the amount of time that it takes for volcanoes to form or for these islands from the volcanoes to form, it's thousands and thousands of years. So it's not like one generation of people saw one island pop up right one right after the other. Like, right. that's not possible because of how long it takes because like i just said there's an island that's coming up right next to hawaii but it's not going to be above the surface for another thousand years yeah so that's a lot of generations of people and so they would have had to kind of just make an educated guess that that those islands, some of them are older. And I mean, they could have maybe looked at what vegetation was available on each island. Like, oh, this one obviously has more space that's developed that we can actually use versus that other island that
1: the it's just hard rock. Yeah, that it's just hard
0: rock. It's not good to use yet. And so maybe they could look at the islands and see that some of them, the vegetation looks younger on them, that some of them are less developed. And so it's just interesting that they were able to, in their myth, point out s- something that scientifically is that is a scientific observation.
1: Yeah. Have you ever been to Hawaii? I have. Yeah. I haven't.
0: Oh, I'm so sorry. I've been like three um, different times since <laughs> I said, to only two, only two of the islands.
1: Yeah. Was the reason I asked was, I was gonna say, like, how many of the different islands did you go to? Like nowadays, can you tell a difference? That'd be something I'd be interested to hear from someone like if you were to like travel down and be looking for it, would you be able to notice the difference? Like, oh, yeah, I can totally see how this island looks. Obviously, like whether it be the trees or whatever, like more uh, developed or or less so or or whatever. I'd be interested in that. But yeah. Did you notice anything like that? Even just being having been to two? Uh, You also weren't looking for it. Yeah, I was like,
0: I mean, Oh, yeah, I wouldn't be able to speak to any intelligence on it, Jeff.
1: Uh, that's why know, I'm yeah, oh yeah, no,
0: because I'm like, oh, do I have anything interesting to add? And I'm like, no, not anything. I feel like because Hawaii uh, has the Nepali Coast on it, which it's the way that the rocks are formed on it. It's completely impossible to build a road on it; like it's impassable. And so mm-hmm. there's not a road that goes a complete circle around Kauai the way that the rocks are just these really tall sheer cliffs and Kauai. I feel like it's, it's the wettest place on earth. It receives the most rainfall every year because basically there's one peak in the Nepali coast that it goes up so high up in the air that it basically is just raining there all the time.
1: Right. That's so crazy.
0: And there's a waterfall that comes off of it. And it just looks like water is just pouring straight out of the sky.
1: Oh my gosh. That'd be so cool. To and see. so I'm
0: like, yeah, I'm like, I'm sure there'd be stories about that, like, uh, oh yeah, like legends and stories about that, because it, it, like, it, it looks truly incredible, like bizarre. It's a phenomenon all its own. Yeah. So one thing that mythologists are interested in when they're talking about myth theory is. Why mythology is formed, but also how people interact with it. And so when we talk about, like, oh, Hawaiian people believed that, like, Pele formed these islands, it does not necessarily mean that people literally believed that that's how the islands were formed. Right. It could just be a story that they used to personify the things that they were seeing. For example, when my kids ask why it gets so windy in the fall and the spring, I tell them it's because the summer air, the hot summer air and the cold winter air are fighting over whose turn it is. Uh And so I don't truly believe that these pressure fronts are fighting each other. (laughs) But it's a story that I use to explain and personify a concept that's just kind of beyond their grasp to understand. Right. And so people thousands of years ago might have been doing that, too.
1: Yeah. And another thing, too, is like you have to think, I don't know a ton about like Hawaiian culture, but especially historically. But it just makes sense when you're talking about like pre-recorded history when their history was oral and passed down. Like it's a lot easier to remember a story that has characters and that has you know that type of thing yes. going on, and it's like that has drama to it than like these facts. Like oh, when the warm air comes in and rises, blah, 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 you know, it's it, yeah, you can remember it a lot more. So when you're passing it down, it's easier to remember and easier to pass on this knowledge. So it's like I think it has utility in that way, not just to be able to explain it in a way that could be understood, which I think is probably part of it as well, but it also just makes it easier to pass on orally and for people to remember because, you know, their knowledge was kept in the minds of the people that were alive today. So it was really important that they be able to pass it
0: on. Yes. And so like the Hawaiians, what they might've been doing is looking and thinking scientifically and making observations and hypothesis about what they were seeing. And then they were passing it on through story, like you said, to make it easier to understand, to make it easy to communicate to another person and for make it easier for that person to remember. Yeah. But sometimes the that is also a tool for helping people remember real events that really happened and that they witnessed. It's mm-hmm. to pass those down, to be like, I literally saw this with my eyes, but I'm going to tell you it in story form so that you can remember it always. And that is something that scientists think happened with the crater lakes in Oregon in the United States. Are you getting your kicks on Route 66? If you're passing by the Petrified Forest, make sure to stop in Joseph City on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday for Mr. G's Pizza. Ask for Andy, and if he's there, let him know that he can run from the law, but he can't run from the eyes of Zeus. Grab a slice or a whole pie to go, or enjoy Mr. G's Pizza in the back room, which features theater seats and movies perfect for the whole family. Mr. G's Pizza, the only restaurant in town worth going to. So in the Cascade Mountain Range, there is a lake, that's called Crater Lake. So Crater Lake is a volcanic caldera, which is a Spanish word for cauldron, which I just want to point out again, like with the, the wording and how like it connects to like mythology and stuff. Yeah, Ca- Cauldron isn't necessarily a word that's only used in mythology cuz it is like a a pot that people like use but it does right. it does have a certain connotation when it comes yeah, especially nowadays yes and and when they named it the caldera like you know it still had that connotation of like just this hot pot like this yeah. this pot that was being heated like underneath and maybe for mystical magical reasons so Scientists, geologists, they were trying to figure out um, kind of how old this, uh, how old Crater Lake was and just more things about it. And they discovered that there was this mythology that the, I think it's called Klamath Indians. I hope I'm pronouncing their name right. Uh, it's K-L-A-M-A-T-H. Klamath. So the Klamath Indians in the area, they had this story that I feel like it's very, very cool. And if you're listening to the imagery that they're using, you can picture exactly like what they're talking about. So their story is that a long time ago, the below world god, so I think what kind of like how we would think of. I would need to study it more. It doesn't necessarily mean it, he was the god of like the underworld, the way we think of like Hades. It right. could mean that he was the god of everything that happened below the surface of the ground. Right. So his name was Leo, and he would, he liked to come through this hole that was at the top of Mount Mazama to gaze up at the stars. And the top of Mount Mazama was so high that it almost touched the stars of the home of Skell, who is the god of the above world. So he had control over the things that were up, like in the sky.
1: Right, so, and it's interesting. It's like this place where those two things are
0: are nearly, are, yeah, are nearly connected because there was this hole in Mount yeah. Mazuma where he could like come out from the below world, but almost be up at the. The above world. Yeah. So one day while Leo was walking around the earth, he met this really beautiful woman. Classic story. (laughs) The daughter of the chief of the Klamath people. And so she was very beautiful and lovely and he instantly just fell in love with her and wanted to be with her. So he asked her to marry him, but she rejected him because of his ugliness and because he was from the below world where she didn't want to go. She didn't want to live. I know I'm like classic. She didn't want to live in the below world. And it's funny how I'm like, oh, the human human nature, it's no matter what culture, I'm like some of these themes just like pop up. So in his anger, Leo cursed the Klamath people with fire, and he started to rain down fire from the top of Mount Mazama. So the chief of the Klamath people started to cry out to Skell, the god of the above world, to come and help them. And Skel heard their cries, and he came down to, the, to another mountaintop. And this name might be familiar to people, Mount Shasta.
1: You may be familiar with it because of the soda.
0: Yes, Shasta.
1: <laughs> the like super cheap soda that our parents would buy for us when we were kids that came in like the mini cans.
0: <laughs> so he came down to the, the another mountaintop, Mount Shasta, and he began to also throw out fire and hurl it at Leo on top of Mount Mazama.
1: <laughs> and the people are like, wait, wait, we want less fire flying yeah. to this guy, not more.
0: Like, no. So the... The earth beneath the Klamath people was shaking. There were mudslides and it kept going on and on for this really long time. And Skell started to weaken and grow tired and Leo's rage just kept going. He was fueled by his anger and the sky over everybody darkened and ash started coming from the sky and falling and covering the earth. So two of the Klamath medicine men offered to sac- the- sacrifice themselves to lao so that his anger would stop because they knew he was mad at them and their tribe because this woman didn't want to marry him but skell saw their good hearts that they were willing to sacrifice for their people so he rallied his last strength and instead of aiming his fire at lao he attacked the mountain underneath lao which caused it all to collapse. And Liao toppled down into the below world and the mountain fell on top of him and he was trapped below under the ground forever. And after the fearful raging that all of the people had to witness, Skell wanted to give them a gift of peace and tranquility. So he sent rain from the above world to fill up the hole that was left with the clearest Mm. blue water imaginable and that's how we got crater lake which has some of the bluest water
1: (laughs) yeah i looked up a picture of it it is gorgeous i'm like man i want to go there
0: that's what when the first like white person who found it they wanted to just name it like deep bluest lake (laughs) Lake of the most blueness. Like they, <laughs> they see That was like all their ideas were just like, let's name it like world's most bluest lake. <laughs> I was like, wow guys, like way to go. Um, so this story to scientists, it sounded a lot like there must've been people who witnessed yeah. Mount Shasta going off at the same time. Cause Mount Shasta is about a hundred miles away from Mount Mazuma. And so they would have been living and moving and stuff around between the two right. mountains. And they thought, oh, they must have witnessed Mount Mazuma emptying out all of its magma and then collapsing. Yeah. And that's what forms a volcanic caldera. Right. Is when all that magma comes out of the chamber and there's nothing left and it collapses. And so scientists wondered if these people had seen this happen. Yeah. And while they were doing work around there, they discovered underneath an ash layer in the ground, they discovered tools, obsidian tools, arrowheads, and they found moccasins. And what's really cool about moccasins is you can carbon date them.
1: Oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense.
0: And so they carbon dated them and they're around 7,000 years old. And so that story... Of these people witnessing those two mountains, those two volcanic mountains (laughs) fighting each other, there were people around there who really did witness it. And that story has been around for almost 7,000 or more than 7,000 years.
1: Wow, that's super cool. I'm
0: like, that's absolutely incredible
1: and incredible that, that you know like this story is like basically the story of like an incel getting turned down and then just like raging on everyone around him Like
0: still relevant today yeah. <laughs> oh man so geologists are finding that in some cases when they're willing to kind of listen to these local legends they're able to get these clues that something that things are like happening. They're getting these real clues that people watch something happen. Yeah, And so listening to that story, if you're not thinking geologically, you're like, Oh, okay. two mountain's fighting each other. Okay. Whatever. And you might be picturing some little like cartoon scenario in your head.
1: They're like Lord but of the it, Rings where they're like throwing rocks at each other. Ah!
0: <laughs> but if you're thinking, of this story as like, okay, if these people witness something that looked like that, what could they be talking about if they yeah. really saw it? And the answer is they were watching two volcanoes, both that happened to be active at the same time. And one seemed to be more powerful. And it was because it was emptying out its magma chamber. Yeah. And that's what caused it to collapse is that it, it forced all of it out and then... Collapse in and on itself. And so when you when geologists can listen to these stories thinking, okay, what does this sound like in geological terms? They get these clues to maybe what really happened yeah. in an area. That's so and, cool. Yep. Yeah. So another crater that I want to talk about, because this one is not a volcanic caldera that made a crater. This is what's called an impact crater. And that's from something hitting the ground very, very hard. (laughs) Something huge from space, usually from space. So in Australia, almost in like the center of Australia, there is an impact crater and it's the English name for it is Goss's bluff. Crater, and so this was an impact crater that geologists think has been there for about 140 million years. So this is not one that people would have seen, w- would have witnessed, like would have yeah. seen
1: seen it being formed.
0: Yeah, and the reason why uh, geologists, or one of the reasons why geologists know that it's as old as it is, is because it's been partially eroded, and then also. There was a period of time in Australia that was really, really wet for a long time. And it created these flat plains everywhere. And it kind of washed everything out of the area until the area was really, really flat. Mm -hmm. And Goss's Bluff Crater is downstream, basically, of where all that wet was happening. And so since the crater had these huge rock walls sticking up it on one side of it it was catching all of this sand that was being eroded in that area Uh and those hardened into these big sandstone hills oh so geologists know this is this has been there for a very 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 long time before
1: this was happening
0: yeah exactly because it it was stopping all this from going, going past. So it had to have been there when it was happening.
1: Yeah. I think I, <laughs> logic I took a, right there. Yeah. Well, I took a geology class mostly to impress a girl. Uh, well not impress, but spend time with a girl who was a geology major who, you know, it worked out cause she's my wife now. Um, <laughs> I had no, no real interest in geology, but she was a geology major at the time. Um, and yeah, it's so cool to see. Cause it's like, that's one of the, all the ways that you can tell how, old things are what happened is like looking at you know layers and what things were there first what things to cut in through other things what were blocking things it's like it's really interesting to learn about and i'm not explaining it very well but (laughs) like i said i was in the class for a girl not for the subject matter
0: no but i think you you explain that really well and really simply that it, it is there's ways that geologists can look at the earth and make just really educated guesses because of how things go. Cause it's like, obviously this had to have been here or it wouldn't have stopped this sand from like where to. And so it is looking at layers, seeing, you know, what things got pushed down, what things got pushed up, what's like outside.
1: And like seeing places where like, there are places where things will get pushed up and like flipped completely over. And like, you know, so looking, uh, you know, at the surrounding area and saying like, oh, well in the surrounding area, the layers go like this, but in this one area, it's like in the complete opposite order or it's like pointing straight up. So something must have happened to push it up, which is a clue that they can use to be like, well, the types of things that push things up like that are, you know, A, B, and C.
0: Yes. Um, And there are a couple of like geological terms that I had no idea about that. I was like, oh, this is really cool because there's shatter cones, there's shatter cones and there's, oh, I want to say it's Gretchen. So there's something called breccia, which is, it's really, it's a rare phenomenon because it's basically, it's shock melted rock.
1: Shock melted rock. The latest album by heavy metal band Doolahead.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're making a CD. Oh man. Okay. So then there's also there's also shatter cones and shatter cones are a rare geological feature uh that it's it it's rock that forms beneath meteorite impact craters or underground nuclear explosions. Oh wow. Because that's another thing that hits right. hard and fast yeah. like yeah.
1: <laughs> the only other thing that hits that hard hard and that and hot. hot.
0: Yeah. And so Whenever, like those are rock clues that something has, that it's an impact crater. Right. Which is something I wouldn't have thought about, but I'm like, oh yeah, if a giant rock from space is hurling at the earth and it's on fire as it goes through the atmosphere and it's flying at the ground and it hits the ground and it's been traveling fast from space, it's going to hit hard. And it's going to be hot and it's going to obviously change the composition of stuff. But I didn't know that geologists do, which is awesome. But yeah. there is there's a story of a, from the people who live in the area. And I hope that I'm pronouncing their name right. They're an aboriginal group because there are tons and tons and tons, and tons of <laughs> aboriginal, different aboriginal groups. Right. So this is a story from the Arunta people. So I'm trying to be sensitive to Aboriginal storytelling because there are terms that have been used to describe their form of storytelling that are not their words that they have chosen for themselves, but that other white people have given them. One term is dream time. And that is a term that white people came up with to describe this kind of this concept of a timeline that's very loose, that's happening now, that's happening thousands of years ago, that's happening all around us continually. Right. So the term that got made up for it is called dream time. And I don't know whether Aboriginal people would choose to use that word for themselves. Mm-hmm. So I hope... They don't That they don't mind me <laughs> <laughs> saying this.
1: We apologize if we're being ignorant.
0: Yeah, I'm, I apologize if I'm being ignorant.
1: But Dreamtime could be Dullahan's, you know, sophomore album.
0: <laughs> ah. So what I'm just going to say is at the beginning of ancestral time, there were stars that would dance in the sky with each other up in the Milky Way. And the evening star... Which, when I say evening star, I don't mean that in the same way that Western society used evening star.
1: Yeah. The evening but What does star, it mean then?
0: It's so. What it is is it in the story we'll have the evening and the morning star, and they are what Aboriginal people thought were stars, but they actually are planets because they're. Oh. They're the stars that move. And the reason why the English translation is evening and morning stars is because in Western society, we used those terms to describe Venus. They thought Venus was both the evening and the morning star because it comes in and out of Uh. the night sky. The reason we have the word planets is because the Latin for that meant roaming star because they knew that those Planets roamed around the sky in a different way than right. It's like yeah,
1: these ones are always in the same places relative to each other, but these ones don't follow the rules.
0: Yeah, and always so, roaming
1: around.
0: So the the Roman. evening
1: named Roman. after Roman gods and goddesses. Right. <laughs> Whoa,
0: so, coincidence? Yes. So Aboriginal people did not think that Venus was both the morning and the evening star. We don't. Technically, I don't think that there's any written account of which stars they meant when they said that. Okay. So if there's any confusion where it's like, oh, the morning and the evening star are the same star, they're Venus. That ignorance is still placed squarely on Western astronomy and not on the Aboriginal astronomy. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, because we don't know what they were talking.
0: We don't know what they were talking about. And so
1: we're just making assumptions.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the words that were picked were Evening Star because these are about stars that roam around. So the Evening Star was holding her brand new baby, but she wanted to go and dance with the other stars in the Milky Way. And so she placed her baby in a turna or a kulamon, which is a wooden basket that Aboriginals would use to carry lots of things. They would use it to carry like like fruit that they were gathering, but they also used it to carry their babies, and it looks like a a tiny canoe. And so she placed her baby into this turna or the kulaman, whichever word you want to use. There are multiple for the same term, and she placed that basket into the Milky Way, and she went to go dance with her friends, but the The Turna flipped over and it fell out of the night sky oh, and it toppled down onto the earth. It fell so hard that it covered the baby and the basket up under the ground, but it left this mark on the earth, and ever since then, the morning and evening star, who are the mother and father of the baby are looking for their baby and they wander around the night sky looking for their babies and sometimes they come to earth as minmen lights i'll talk about those in a second they'll come as minmen lights and if you see those minmen lights when you're out hiking never follow them because while they're looking for their baby they will lead you astray and you'll never be seen again
1: man that took a real depressing turn.
0: It did cuz there's no like happy ending. They yeah. never they never found their baby cuz it's buried under the sand cuz it hit so hard. Um so minmin Min lights really quickly are a light phenomenon that some people in Australia have said that they've observed but there's not really like a cause for it the same way people used to think marsh gas the Yeah. They used to think that marsh gas was making uh will of the wisps Yeah. or lanterns in the bog. You'll hear about creatures that live in like English bogs that have lanterns. And it's another kind of light phenomenon that still scientists aren't quite a positive, but so many people have seen them Yeah. and noticed them, but they're not sure what causes those phenomenon. So yeah, I was going to say
1: like the will of the wisps was like, that's so crazy that they have something so similar.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: and it's like and not only that it like these lights that float around that happen but it's like they lead you off and you'll be lost if you follow them it's like what it, what you know whatever is causing is i wonder if they found out it would be like oh well there's a reason why you know you're uh you're you're never found again because if you're following that you're in a certain situation where the air is like you get like suffocated because the air is actually made up of all these gases or whatever the case may be you know yeah. I, it's just really fascinating again i've i've nerd out so hard with curiosity and wonder when I hear these stories like thousands and thousands of miles apart, but they're like so similar in those types of details.
0: Yeah. That it's like, like Min Min lights, but that sounds just like will of the wisps or bog lanterns or like just all these like different like light phenomenon. So one thing that I find so fascinating about this story is that somehow these people knew that the thing that made that crater was something that fell out of the sky. Right. Because again, Goss's Bluff crater, 140 million years old. There were not people who were on the earth at that time who could have witnessed this and then passed on this story. But somehow, the Aretna people have this story that shows that they understood that this crater was formed from something huge falling from the sky.
1: Yeah, that's cr- And that, that, is, and that that's they insane. thought it was a
0: star, like they thought it was a baby star. Yeah. So scientists and anthropologists and tons of people, they don't know whether these people had witnessed other meteorites falling out of the sky, yeah. had seen smaller craters, because there are sev- there's lots of impact craters in Australia. Right. yeah. And so they don't know whether they witnessed other stuff falling and then we're like, Oh, then that must be what that other thing is over there. Or whether they guessed correctly. Yeah. They got lucky. Yeah. That they like got lucky or something.
1: It's, it seems, I mean, again, I'm not one of these people that's studying, but it's like, it just seems obvious to me that they must have seen it happen before. Cause again, you see like a meteor through the sky it's a shooting star. It's yeah. a star that's moving, that's coming. And then, you know, if you were to see one that actually hit, you hear the sound, feel the sound of that and go and investigate and see, oh, there's this big hole. And then yeah. you see another big hole that's a, that is like, Hey, the, the other time I saw this was when this thing happened.
0: Yeah. Or people think like it, cause it's like with the Hawaiians where it shows some scientific thought observing, making hypothesis. Yeah. a hypotheses. <laughs> and because if you take a rock and you drop it in the sand, you can see what happens. Like you can see right. that like an impact crater like will form. So they don't know whether maybe they have observed that phenomenon and conflated it to that. Or if, yeah, like you said, right. that or they, they
1: had actually had saw. seen.
0: Yeah. When you look up at the night sky in the Southern hemisphere of the world there are some stars that we in the northern hemisphere do not see at any time of the year right so in the southern hemisphere there is a
1: well i know there's like the southern cross because it's on the flags of both australia and new zealand
0: yes so there's also the corona Australis, and it is this kind of hook shape or basket like turner shape the the basket oh, that i talking out yeah that it's uh it's starting to tip off of the milky way when you look oh, up wow. at the milky way it's up there just this yeah. curved line of stars that looks like it's about to tip off of the milky way
1: that's so cool
0: but another thing that it kind of illustrates is that these people were very aware of the stars And one thing that I think is incredible, like we pointed out with like the Min Min Lights, when thousands of miles away, people have kind of the same ideas, like that human beings have come up with similar things happening, is that in so many mythologies around the world, people have looked up at the stars and have personified them. Mm-hmm. Have they've imagined them as persona- with personalities, they've imagined them with stories of their life yeah. and feelings. And I I don't know whether it's there's something about human nature that we look up at the stars and we think that there must be something bigger than ourselves out there. Yeah. But it's this thing that it happens in cultures all over the world where their mythologies include the stars and give personality to the stars you've been listening to the fairy tellers podcast if you enjoyed what you listened to please leave us a review and share with your friends for more fairy tale content head over to the for light-hearted retellings or follow us on instagram for daily fairy tale memes at the fairy underscore tellers or even join the conversation on our facebook page Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and Clarice Inch for our artwork.
1: This episode contains additional music from Kevin McLeod at Incompetech Music. Check him out at incompetech.com.
0: May you have warm words on a cold evening, a full moon on a dark night, and a smooth road all the way to your door. An Irish Blessing.
1: Oh, and then I search for Pele, and it just comes up like the Brazilian soccer player.
0: <laughs> and you're like, useless. <laughs>
1: Wrong Pele.